Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question... How can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Matthew Kenny is one of the most well-known chefs in the plant-based food space. He began his career studying at the French Culinary Institute and was inspired to transform the decadent recipes he learned into equally indulgent plant-based versions. With a number of restaurants in the U.S. and overseas, Matthew is undoubtedly a pioneer in the world of high-end plant-based cuisine. But he is interested in much more than just making great food. He also values the importance of teaching individuals to cook healthy, sustainable meals for themselves. In fact, his new book, Plant Lab, Crafting the Future of Food, is focused on helping home cooks create delicious, beautiful food. I recently sat down with Matthew in his plant-based pizza restaurant, Double Zero, in New York City to learn more about what inspires his menus and how he plans to grow his brand in the future. Amidst the busy background noise of the restaurant and the sounds of the East Village in New York City, Matthew delves into his interest in emphasizing the use of clean, organic, unprocessed ingredients to achieve healthy, vibrant, aesthetically refined, and flavorful cuisine. He shares the simple meals he makes for himself and even gives details about his forthcoming line of packaged foods. That's right, think Double Zero inspired frozen pizzas you can heat up for yourself. Matthew has a unique aesthetic and is on a mission to create plant-based versions of every cuisine imaginable. If you're a chef looking to learn more about the potential in plant-based cuisine or an avid foodie, this conversation is packed with tips and advice that will transform how you think about food. Matthew Kenny, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Um, thanks for having us here at uh, Double Zero. Um, everyone listening can can hear the background sound. We are recording in a restaurant, which is uh, fun as always. Um, so I want to start off with your backstory. You're um, you're basically a kid from Maine who came to New York in his early twenties and was um, mesmerized by the magic of the restaurant scene in this city. And things kind of just unfolded from there. That's the shortest version of your story. Yes, I, I really fell in love with restaurants and the, the idea of building and creating a restaurant of my own. I'd always had a, a very strong interest in um, really in health and wellness and fitness and, and even healthy food. All through college when my friends were eating pizza, I was cooking my own meals with like whole wheats and grains and things like that. So it was a little bit unlike you know me to get into gourmet food but 
I really had two passions. One was health and one was culinary art. And it took many years, but I eventually brought them together when I focused my entire career on plant-based. Yeah, and for people who may know you now as this uh, plant-based chef and restaurant owner and um, someone who's run um, culinary academies as well, they may not know your that prior to all of that, you were a pretty, you were a classically trained chef, uh, very, fairly successful uh, in the restaurant space in New York, even before you kind of had this shift towards plant-based food. Can you talk about how that change came about and what triggered it? Well, I started my, uh, I opened my first restaurant in my 20s in on the Upper East Side in New York, and it was a very successful two-star restaurant, and I built the company up over a few years to have... Um, seven or eight restaurants, several hundred people working on our team. And many of the businesses were very successful, but I also um, also expanded a little too quick and had to you know, rethink my strategy. And, and during that time, I was doing a lot of yoga and a lot of meditation and uh, eventually came to the point where you know, my passion for animals and the environment and, and healthy food was, you know, it overtook this this hospitality passion that I had mm -hmm. but I realized I could bring them together it was maybe 2002 2003 I went to a uh, raw vegan restaurant in New York and it was just one of those light bulb moments where I walked out thinking okay if I can as a chef make this food cutting edge and contemporary the way I was doing with traditional food it's going to really be like the future the way we are eating in the future because it makes so much sense it's yeah. good there's no compromise you can still have an amazing meal, but feel good the next day. No, you're not doing any harm to the animals or the environment. It was just a really in that one night. It took me 10 or 15 years to get to that point. <laughs> but when I made the decision, I was that was it. And that led to your first restaurant, which was uh, all plant based, which was uh, Pure Food and Wine here in uh, New York City. That was 2004, I yeah, believe. Correct. Um, what was the sort of vision goal you had at that point? Did you? Um, did you spend a lot of time thinking about this? Um, because the space was, was iconic and, and beautiful. I've been there many times when it was open. And um, what did you have in mind? Like, this was very, this was more than 10 years ago now, and people weren't yeah. really opening vegan restaurants. 15 please. years, yeah. 15, yeah. Well, you know, around that time, Nobu had been around a few years, the, the Japanese restaurant Nobu, and mm -hmm. I saw what Nobu did for Japanese restaurants. I mean, he made it cool and made it fun and clubby, but still with a really incredible cutting-edge cuisine and started to change the, the accessibility of, of that cuisine. And I, my vision was that this would, if done properly, would kind of take the same trajectory as Nobu, where plant-based becomes the cool kid on the block, the sexy cuisine, mm -hmm. um, but for even more reasons, because it actually makes so much sense. So my vision was pretty... All of my visions are very bold and uh, aggressive and uh, sometimes ahead of their time, but I, I absolutely thought we were creating a, a restaurant that would define the, the future, the way chefs should be cooking, the way people you know, could enjoy food for the first time in their life and like, truly enjoy it without yeah. compromise. Um, and I thought it would be a you know, first step toward, toward changing the entire global food paradigm. I mean, you were definitely ahead of your time in that sense because you look at what's happening now in the food space, even uh, traditional chefs in any restaurants are starting to use um, vegetables a lot more in their dishes. The vegetables are almost the new frontier in food. And um, you have kind of done that since the beginning and continue to where your um, restaurants are primarily using 
fresh, minimally processed ingredients. Um, I don't believe you tend to use too many soy proteins or any at all. You you kind of use vegetables in their natural form. Can you talk a little bit more about your philosophy of food and how that's evolved in the last 15 years as plant-based eating has become more, um, you can call it mainstream, but has become widely accepted as being a, a true cuisine in itself. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, we'll get to the power of this kind of food, but um, how has your philosophy changed over the years? Well, I would say we've become a bit more focused in terms of uh, authenticity of the, the food. In the beginning, I I didn't have anything to go on. There were no gourmet, raw, vegan cookbooks out. There weren't any restaurants for me to go to to reference what I was... I had these visions in my head. I would be in a yoga class imagining a dish, but I had no idea how to make it. I didn't know how to make a cream sauce out of sprouted cashew. I had to make this up. Um, and I purposely didn't look at any of the books that were out there to any great degree because I didn't want to be influenced. I wanted to start by creating a new foundation for plant-based food. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm more of an intuitive. I, we do have worked with nutritionists and we sometimes do projects where scientists are involved, but I'm a chef. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a nutritionist. I, I'm just an intuitive eater. I, I go on what makes me feel good, what feels natural, what feels artistic and authentic. And so the first thing I did was spend a couple of years just trying to develop a style and all I was really able to do was create a repertoire of dishes that was enough to open pure food and wine and have a, a nice menu that was that was captivating but over the years we started layering in new techniques sm smoking techniques fermentation techniques um, compression and uh, thermal immersion and all sorts of different things combined with a, a growing awareness of the ingredients that we could use finding kelp noodles and, and mm -hmm. so forth and so on learning how to create binders and all the things that contemporary French cuisine has for example but that didn't exist in plant-based cuisine so we had to really like we started out just by putting out a menu and then we took a step back in a way and created a foundation and that's when I launched the schools and it's also why I launched the, the academies because I felt like that foundation was critical to really take this where I wanted it to go um, but over the years, um, we've started to become more, uh, I would say, focused with our menus. So, for example, Double Zero, it's very Italian. We don't really deviate from that. And that includes the wine list and everything about it, all the ingredients. Um, Bar Verde, which opens in about an hour. Uh, first, It's our first dinner service. Um, it's, you know, our chef is from Mexico. He mm -hmm. was he worked at a Michelin-starred restaurant in Mexico. Um, he works directly with Scott Weingart, who's been, you know, our corporate chef for on and off for 14 years. And we're really, we're trying to do the, the cuisine as authentically as we can um, using plants. And mm -hmm. to me, that means not trying to copy meat or copy fish. It's really to take the, the produce, the fruit, and just make it as captivating as it, as it can be. Um, so our, yeah, we rarely, we have maybe two dishes in our entire company of 10 restaurants where we use a, uh, I think one dish has a little bit of tofu, tofu, smoked tofu, and another dish might have a little barbecued tempeh, but uh, it's not that I don't like the flavor of those things, yeah. but my personal style as a chef and our, our brand is really to take the vegetables as far as we can mm -hmm. and so now we're becoming more and more specialized a lot of our new concepts are very 
um, you know, very personalized. You know, we're mm -hmm. opening Exist in uh, Chelsea in a few weeks, and that's a, an Eastern Mediterranean-inspired concept. Um, you know, different types of falafel and things like that. And we're that I think is really exciting because we we used to feel like we had to have a dish from Mexico and a dish yeah. from Italy and all on one menu and. And now we're really treating it like any other type of specialized restaurant. And why why do you think um, it's more specialized now? Do you think the um, your the diner is more sophisticated now? And when they walk into say Double Zero, where we are now, um, an Italian, uh, I can see the wood burning oven <laughs> behind you. Um, is it supposed to be like an Italian restaurant? It just so happens to be plant based. Is that what you're going for? Yeah, it is an Italian restaurant. You know, mm -hmm. we. We're not competing with vegan restaurants. We're competing with... I, I want us to stand up next to the best pizza restaurant in, in Italy yeah. um, through, you know... You, well, that's why we use double zero flour. We use an incredible organic ingredients and we do cook in a wood oven, not a, mm -hmm. not a gas oven. Same thing next door. Very authentic. So, yeah, it just happens to be plant-based. Um, right. That's, that's pretty much our, you know, our overall philosophy. But I think that people are more receptive to specialized concepts because in the beginning, first of all, we didn't have the repertoire to do specialized. I didn't know how to do the cheeses or a lot of these things. Um, but also the market for plant-based is growing much faster and, and people have been to the places that have a menu that's a hodgepodge of all sorts of things. But yeah. the market's big enough now where you can do, you know, I, I have 15 other concepts that I haven't done yet, you know, <laughs> that, I, that I think will work. Yeah, and also, you know, the diner who's coming into a restaurant like this, so the new one you have right next door, is um, is coming because they want to, they know it's plant-based, they're just looking forward to a good food experience, and they're not looking for, uh, this is their only night out eating uh, plant-based food, which um, you would only have one or two options maybe 10 years ago uh, if you chose to eat that way or follow that lifestyle. I think it's attracting 90% customers who probably don't eat this way at home, but are choosing to come out and, and taste um, healthy, delicious flavors that just so happen to have no animal ingredients. Yeah. Um, so I think it's an interesting time we're in. You did mention that you you kind of also got into the culinary education space. I think it was around 2009 you opened your first uh, academy. Uh, why was that important for you to do? You could have easily just continued opening more restaurants. Why did you decide that it was important to train chefs to learn to cook this way as well um what's the thinking behind that well pretty much everything i do is is i mean i i generally do it if i think it's a good idea but it's also driven by a passion to express something that i think can add value to the market and be a good business um when i opened pure food and wine everybody wanted to know how we made this food so i started teaching classes in the back of the restaurant and the classes were always full informal and uh, later on I did some more classes in Brooklyn and I found that I loved teaching. I loved giving this knowledge to people and seeing them use that knowledge to create their own food and I realized that, you know, I'm one chef and we're one company. In order to change the food paradigm, you need thousands of chefs out there doing it. So there were many reasons to do the school. It was, it was an expression of, you know, a desire to, to teach. Um, it was also sort of based on my belief that we needed to dig deeper to build a foundation. You don't necessarily accomplish that in a restaurant. You know, to build a foundation, I, I thought putting it into a formal education setting would uh, give us the sort of push that we needed to 
standardized to uh, create a foundation of basic sauces and basic techniques and, and really like give people the tools to make a cuisine out of it. Not just to, to make a bunch of dishes that happen to be vegan, but actually to have a whole new subset of skills, techniques, methods that would build, you know, that would make up um, the foundation for this new way of cooking. Mm -hmm. um, so it was that and it was, you know, everything's a timing. I got offered a deal in Oklahoma. They were planning to do weekend classes and I, I thought this is a great opportunity to do formal culinary school. And many of your students have now gone on and I'm assuming and opened restaurants of their own. Um, how has that been for you? Uh, I know you've said, you've, you've talked a lot about this and written about it in your new book that, that recently come out as well, but um, you talk a lot about the importance of chefs and chefs taking on this responsibility uh, that they have to feed people in a way that is not only flavor forward and uh, flavor rich, but also one that is um, nutrient rich and uh, one that is in keeping with uh, the local ecology. And that's a big part of, it's always been a big part of your philosophy of food. Can you tell me a little bit more about the role of chefs in today's world and especially in the, in the years ahead as we're going to be facing even more resource constraints and the population continues to grow, we have to figure out how to feed the world. And chefs tend to be tastemakers, but according to you, they can be healers as well. Yes, or they can be destructive. I, you know, the choices that chefs make has a ripple effect across so many sectors. I mean, if a chef is cooking unhealthy processed food, he's creating a demand for that product to be produced, which is generally harmful to the environment or to the animal agriculture. Um, so it's, it's causing destruction before it even gets on the plate. When it's on the plate, it's harming whoever puts it in their body, which in turn goes on to impact our healthcare system and the productivity of our, you know, of our planet. And it just, and then it creates addiction to this kind of food and it just keeps going on and on. A chef who's doing things the right way is creating just as much positive uh, across all of those channels as well, making you know proper food choices and not buying processed foods that are that are not harmful to the environments or the animal, and then serving them to people who gain health from them as opposed to unhealth, and then not putting a burden on our financial and healthcare systems because of the uh, the crises that e evolve from eating this way. Um, so I believe it's not just about, you know, serving the food. It's about the, the much broader impact. And I also feel like chefs are influencers. People, you know, chefs know how to make things pretty and they know how to things, make things taste good. So why not do that with something that's good for you and good for the planet as opposed to just making it taste good because it's foie gras and mm -hmm. it's rich and salty and fatty. Yeah. Um, they have the, the ability to do that. And th the more enlightened chefs are now doing that. Um, Alain Passard at L'Arpege in Paris, Jean-Georges von Gerichten has ABCV here in the city, and John Frazier has Nick's in New York, uh, vegetarian restaurants, even Alain Ducasse uh, mm -hmm. going away from this, and Joel Roberson, one of the big, he has the most Michelin star, stars of any chef in the world. Yeah. Um, he lost 30 or 40 pounds um, recently, and he's you know a very vegetable-forward promoter now, as is uh, David Boulay. Yeah. It's it's starting already. And once the, these larger tastemakers, you know, 
embrace that, there will be a tipping point where this starts to grow even faster than it already is. Yeah, because, you know, it's not about having everyone uh, turn their restaurants into all plant-based, but if we want to be responsible um, people within the food industry, whatever role you play, you have to understand that the equation has to shift where meat becomes less of a focus. And um, by virtue of changing menus in restaurants, by virtue of... um, innovating with new dishes that just don't happen to include um, meat and everything. Um, They have, you know, you now have a chance of uh, almost redoing our culture, of changing the cultural paradigm of food, which most people don't understand starts off with chefs and then it bleeds into um, the food industry and ends up in in products that you find in grocery stores. But it's, it's someone like you sitting and thinking up a um, new ingredient, a new flavor, a new combination that then sets in motion these uh, these things that become trends and icons and things that we get so attached to as um, as consumers, really, where we, we can't live without certain foods. Um, yeah. So what if we live in a world where you can't live without certain dishes that just happen to be plant-based? Now, that would be a future worth living for. I mean, that's the world I try to live in, and we're trying to you know, create mm-hmm. that same reality for as many of our guests as we can. Yeah. So, you know, I'd love to talk a little bit more about your um, business, where it is now and where you are taking it in the future. You've um, been at this um, on multiple fronts now for several years, um, but your brand and your company is has this big, broad vision of being this plant-based lifestyle brand. Um, can you tell us more what, what that what that means and what are the different sub-segments in, of the food industry that you currently play in? Mm-hmm. Well, it is lifestyle for me. I, I, you know, part, of the, I, part of the reason I ended up as a plant-based chef was from my yoga practice and meditation. I, I think it, you know, to inspire ourselves to eat the best food and cook the best food, we also need to be active and take care of our body. And, um, so to me, it's, it, there are a lot of components, and I really like the the business of doing business and of, of creating and having multiple um, arms within our brand because it allows us to work with you know talented other talented professionals and gives us resources that we wouldn't otherwise have. Um, if we're just a restaurant company, for example, we might not have somebody as creative that we have because we're doing you know things in media and that allows our branding of our restaurants to be more more cutting edge. So it's it's all integrated. We're uh, we basically operate in six segments. Um, hospitality, which is restaurants and will eventually be hotels. And we're already working on a couple of um, pretty large-scale hotel projects uh, that seem like they're going forward. Um, we have uh, wellness, which will be... Uh, we're opening a yoga studio in Venice, and it's, it's a very new type of yoga studio. We have a really interesting business model for that. Um, the uh, media side are, are books, calendars, apps, um, working on a pilot for a show and um, also are involved in a documentary. Um, my 13th book is just about to come out. Um, we have a licensing division, which is a growing part of our company. We uh, sold our education business um, a few months ago. And so that's Plant Lab Culinary. We still have a licensing relationship with that. Um, but we have licensing arrangements in uh, Miami at the One Hotel, uh, in Bogota, Colombia. They're opening our makeout over there. We're in the process of licensing uh, Double Zero in London, and uh, 
there are a couple of other licensing agreements. We have uh, Neiman Marcus Beverly Hills. And these are great because it allows us to grow without putting a burden on the company of having to run everything day to day. Um, we have a CPG uh, division that we, we hoped to get started on last year, but we or this year, but we didn't. So that will be coming in 2018. And um, I feel like I'm forgetting a segment of services. We place a lot of private chefs, like our first private chef was for an NFL player. Um, we, we placed a few chefs this year. We have consulting clients in different parts of the world. Um, especially here in New York and uh, there are a lot of other speaking engagements and uh, strategic partnerships and endorsement arrangements and so forth so it's a it's a pretty broad um, array of things that we do but we're really we're really doing what we do which is mostly plant-based food so if we do yoga it's not just yoga it's going to incorporate the, the food from makeout and the green juices and the, you know there's going to be a healthy food app attached to it um, but, you know, we're an incubator for, for ideas that we, we put out there and, and distribute them through, like I said, a service or, or through a licensing agreement or through brick and mortar, you know, ourselves. And you've been doing this now globally as well. You're going, um, uh, you're not just in the U.S., so you have um, operations across the world or you have licensing deals? We do. We, uh, we have a... We are partners in a restaurant in London, um, Essence Cuisine. I was just there a couple days ago, and um, I loved it in Shoreditch, London. We, um, we're in a partnership um, with um, my friend and one of our partners, uh, Prince Khaled, um, in uh, Bahrain. And we have a licensing agreement in uh, Bogota, Colombia and probably a half dozen more that are in negotiation right now one way or another. Wow. How do you pick projects? I mean, given, I'm sure you're contacted every other day with a new idea, uh, not only because you've already been fairly successful in this space, but because everyone seems to be jumping onto the plant-based food space um, in general. Um, how, how do you prioritize what you pick? Um, do you have some sort of a filter framework you run them through or it's just gut feeling mostly? I mean, I'm very involved in that personally. It's just, mm -hmm. I spend a lot of my time on that. Um, we probably get three new leads a day these days. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's five, but an average of three new leads a day from all over the world. Um, a lot of them are restaurant projects, but not all. Uh, a lot of consulting as well. We don't take on much consulting because we, we find that it takes almost as much effort to execute a really good consulting relationship on a, on a consulting relationship as it does to open our own restaurant. So I don't think it's the best use of our limited resources because we don't, we don't have a huge corporate team. Um, but I guess the first criteria is, does it excite me? Does it, does it fit our brand? Can we execute at a really high level? Will it be original? Um, it has to be something nobody else is doing because we don't copy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, is it, a, is it in a location that sort of also, it has, we're too spread out to not be in major markets. It's too hard to get to them. It's harder for us to market them and promote them. So, you know, it, a lot of criteria. I mean, really everything breaks down into marketing, finance, and operations. Mm -hmm. you know, can we promote it? Can it be well-known? Can it be successful? Uh, can we run it properly and make it great? And will it be a sustainable business? Yeah. And, um, you know, sorry, didn't yeah. mean to interrupt. That's pretty much it. Okay. And in terms of, you know, your focus has largely been hospitality related. Uh, you did mention CPG. I'd love to, to understand what your um, plans are um, to the extent you're willing to reveal them. Mm -hmm. um, 
how do you see your brand fitting in that space and which segment of the market? Because that's a whole different ballgame, as you probably know. Um, and maybe that's why you're taking your time with it. But um, what, what are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah. Well, we have largely been hospitality-based, but over the next few years, that will shift. Where hospitality, we're, we're not slowing down with hospitality. We're going to do more and more, but other sectors, media, um, uh, strategic partnerships, licensing arrangements, and CPG will start to take a much bigger piece of that pie. But we wanted to build our brand awareness as much as we could first, and it, it was easier for us because that's my background to, to do it through hospitality. Right. Um, and I love, I still love building restaurants. Um, but CPG, you know, I, I, I stopped and started a couple of times, and I realized that um, how much we benefit from strategic, strategic partnerships in restaurants and in anything. And some of the biggest food companies in the world started to contact us about really just to pick our brain. But yeah. I, I realized that the better way for us to do this is to work with one of these very large companies that already has their systems in place for yeah. distribution, for uh, production, and all the licensing that's required. They have those relationships, just like we have relationships to produce really high-end, cutting-edge food. I have relationships you know, within our company and outside our company to, to market them and get the word out. And so I think that that's why I pulled back a little. I don't, I don't have a, a plan to start up a factory and produce things myself. And it just doesn't, I don't think it's necessary. I think that those resources are already there. Yeah. I'd rather put 100% of our energy into developing the, the product itself. Yeah. We, um, Double Zero, where we're here today, it's been one of our more successful projects. And we have a, a, a product in development that is, um, you know, loosely related to double zero so uh frozen pizza basically which is a which is a big business um but we want to do it you know differently both the packaging and the product itself and then there's a whole other line of products which is which i'm working on as well but it will be kind of inspired by the non-dairy dairy dairy, um Mm -hmm. but a little different than some of the other companies are out there so those are those are my plans at the moment that's um, very exciting. I mean, you look at your both those spaces are, are, um, are very crowded and competitive, but uh, also where there's a lot of consumer interest right now. So you're, you're definitely picking uh, ones that you're likely to um, make an immediate impact if you come up with a great product. And, you know, you have the advantage of coming up with um, sort of a chef-driven, flavor-forward um product that probably doesn't exist in the market in, in, in any of those categories. So for you, I think your challenge is going to be on um, how selective are you in what you decide to do versus, um, you know, what is it that you should do next? So the options are so many and it's really making the right bets, I suppose. Um, but that brings us to where things stand. The fact that we even have options and we're talking about, um, you know, the dairy-free category is this, uh, is, is this, now what 10 to 14 percent of the of the dairy aisle at the moment in terms of uh, market share we would have never seen that happening years ago so the plant-based food space has um has evolved overall not just restaurants not just hospitality not just food service but of course in the cpg space there's been a ton of innovation and expansion especially in the last five or six years what are your thoughts on the on the general industry and you've been um probably watching it uh, for, for years now, 
um, wh- what are you most excited about when it comes to products or um, innovations out there, whether they connect to what you're doing or just as um, as someone who consumes plant-based food yourself? Well, you know, I love the growing awareness uh, and and attention to um, organic, of course, but I love. I love the, the the whole dairy segment, you know, the non-dairy segment. I mean, Alyssa from Punk Raw Labs, who, you know, she, was, she went to our uh, education um, academy in Oklahoma years ago. Oh. She's a friend, and I love her cheeses, her tree nut cheeses. And I get so excited when I go into Erewhon or Whole Foods, and there's seven different types of tree nut cheese available. And, um, you know, all the fermented coconut yogurts and all, all of these things, it's just like... I, I do. I get excited walking into a, a health food store. So I think it's great. I love that you can go into pretty much any high-end coffee bar these days and get almond milk. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the thing I'm most excited about is that just it's available everywhere. You don't have to just go to a raw vegan restaurant to get it. Yeah. No, I mean, it's become so... Um it's become so easy for, for these products to reach end consumers that it's uh, it's a question of uh, who comes up with the best ones now, and I think that's uh, that's an exciting place to be in. Um, now, you're generally associated with um, gourmet, high-end food, and uh, upscale restaurants, and um, that's been your focus, and you're a chef, and with, with all that, that kind of training... Uh, I love eating that kind of food when I go out, but um, at home my food is pretty simple, and that tends to be the case for most people um, who, you know, when I don't order takeout, that is. Uh, what I would love to get your input on: um, what are some quick tips, hacks that you do at home when you're, because you seem obviously are extremely busy, and uh, when you're not eating at a restaurant, when you happen to be at home, what can people take away that they can do with um, minimal ingredients? Uh, to put together some basic meals? Like, do you have some quick go-tos that you give to people? Because the last thing I want people to take away from all of this is that plant-based food is only for someone who can afford to eat in an upscale mm-hmm. restaurant and that it is all about fancy innovation. And that's, it is about that, mm-hmm. but it's not only about that. So what, what are your tips and tricks? I mean, one of my favorite lunches is... Uh, one of my favorite go-to lunches is... Uh, I, I love fermented foods and sauerkraut, so I'll, I'll get a really good sauerkraut... Um, half an avocado or a whole avocado, some hemp seed and lemon and sea salt, a couple sheets of nori, a handful of arugula, and maybe a small piece of like tree nut cheese, like Kite Hill or something uh, from our restaurant, and just eat that that bowl. It's like I can make it in three minutes. And I'm getting healthy fats, and I'm getting greens, and I'm getting, um, you know, fermentation and probiotics, and it's delicious, and I love it with uh, some kind of raw crackers or something. But I also, like, if it's cold weather, I love to bake, like, a garnet yam, uh, steam, you know, some broccoli or broccoli rob or, or lightly saute some kale and uh, roast some shiitake mushrooms and make, like, a tahini ginger sauce. Mm. And, again, you have to bake the yam, but it's, it's like, I can do it at, you know, with five minutes of work or ten minutes of work. Right. So I, I eat really simply uh, at home as well. You know, I, I can have a mono meal, which is really just... A big gazpacho, you know. I'm happy with that. Um, yeah. Things that you can make and that last a couple of days, but um, yeah, I, I know there's a big, there is a big need for that. I mean, there are a lot of simple books out there, including mine. But even my simple books aren't simple. Um, so you know, someday, I don't think I would write a book about this subject. I don't think it, mm-hmm. I could make it interesting enough. But I think there's, 
uh, an application, uh, a digital app that could be created that would be very helpful for people um, this way. So it's if I get to it, I'll I'll do it. Myself. Yeah, I mean the trick really is, and this is just me. Uh, I'm no I'm no chef, but uh, the trick is to have some key ingredients that give you uh, various that you can repurpose in many ways. And that's why I think an app is a, is a smart idea is because you can't really have a recipe for simple eating. You basically need go-to ingredients that provide you with fats, with flavor, with, um, with you know, certain grains as options. And then you're able to mix and match them. And um, it almost, you know, I almost, I'm giving you an idea now, maybe. Um, you almost have the app recommend combinations for you depending on your mood or um, the kind of flavor you're going for. Yeah. Um, there's something that can easily be done, I think. And keeping it simple, so you just have to have 15 ingredients in hand, or maybe 10, and you've got maybe a, you know infinite number of meals you can make out of it. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I'm all for that idea. I need that for sure. I'll download that app. So, awesome. <laughs> you know, as we start to wind down um, this discussion, I'd love to um, kind of go back to where we started with um, your first shift to. Um, uh, plant-based food and deciding to open a restaurant in this space and I know you mentioned it a couple of times a recurring theme and I didn't pick up on it earlier because I was saving it till the end is your um, focus on yoga and meditation and to what extent that um, played a role in uh, in the past and continues to play a role I know back in the early 2000s um, post 9-11 when some of your restaurants were um, you were faced with a situation where you had to decide if you had to sell off those restaurants. And that was the moment where the idea, I think, behind Pure Food and Wine came about. Correct me if I've got the, the dates wrong. But, um, and it, I've heard you say this before, and, and you mentioned it today too, but that yoga, meditation, and kind of reflection was a key part of you understanding where you needed to go next. Um, how... Does that still play a role in um, decision making? And, you know, for people who don't do yoga or meditation or either of the two things. So what, w what should they take away from how does that kind of inspire you and how does that guide you? Well, you know, it, 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 that's changed for me over the years. I mean, it's always been uh, the breathing is, is, is for me. It's about the breathing and being in the, in the moment and, um, and being present and you know, removing as much of that anxiety as you can, whether that's coming through breathing or meditation or yoga, or you, you can, I believe you can meditate on a long run or on a long drive or, or in many, you know, for some people it's writing. Writing can be very cathartic. I just think it's important, whatever it is we're doing, whatever our, our mechanism is to find that balance, um, it's important to have um, something that, allows us to uh, not get too attached to where we are at that particular juncture you know there's sometimes things everything's great but you don't want to get too attached to that either because you'll be disappointed tomorrow if it's not great and some days everything's falling apart and you can't get stuck there because that won't get you out of it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's helped me just I think be more consistent and more uh, understanding and open-minded of 
um, you know, the fluidity of the whole process. And, and, and probably more resilient as well, too, because, you know, running so many businesses, uh, things are going to go wrong. And uh, as good as things are today, they're going to be bad the next minute. And nothing uh, exemplifies that more than a restaurant at the end of the day, where it's like you could be at the top of the world one moment and then it all falls apart, which is, I think... Um, uh, once you get used to that, just the nature of life, I suppose you become a better business person as well. Um, would you say that? Yes, I mean, it's it's very important, you know, to to wake up and think everything's going to be great today. It just doesn't exist, you know, and that's why the the whole one of the big questions everybody always asks of others is how's everything, and <laughs> everything is never perfect. I mean, you know, there are great things, there are bad things, there are, or but then I, I don't use the word problem. I use the word challenge, right? Um, pretty much all the time. So um, I try, I try to you know look at it that way as well. Right, right. Because yeah, then you you know you you're not caught up with it. You're trying to solve it um, uh, instead of just being caught up with uh, with the enormity of the situation, probably. So. Yeah. Um, no, I find that interesting because um, I hear that a lot from people who um, run businesses and um, who are very creative is that they're, they, they need that space to kind of guide them and kind of not let everything get too overwhelming or yeah. a little too much. So I know you have a bold vision and you've always kind of had um, a bold vision of what you want to do with your food and your businesses and with plant-based food as being the center of it all and kind of the foundation of it all. Um, everything from your restaurants to maybe hotels down the line, products in stores, um, your training academy, your media presence, your books. If you continue doing this kind of work and given the rise of plant-based food space and the urgent need for us to reform our food system, um, if you're successful and you're able to kind of um, follow through on this bold vision of yours and make it a reality, what kind of world do you envision, say, um, 30 years down the line in, say, 2050? What is your idea of, uh, of, of the utopia you'd love to see? If you could be like, look at that future and think that you've succeeded, what would that look like? Well, I, I think, I think it's, uh, it's already happening, and I think it, in less than 30 you know, years, um, maybe in, in 5 or 10 years, the, uh, the food paradigm will shift where, you know, as a as opposed to now, where most menus are fish and meat, um, it will be the opposite. The majority of successful businesses will be largely plant-based, if not entirely plant-based, certainly driven by plant-based. And you know, the steakhouses and the you know all these kind of places will will be the uh, the exception. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I use smoking. I get in trouble for saying this, but. Um, I use smoking as an example. You know, it's not cool anymore. You can still smoke; it's legal. You can go out on the sidewalk and have a cigarette, but nobody's going to offer you an ashtray or, like, you know, congratulate you on that choice. Um, and I think, you know, anything that we do that we have a choice of. Some parts of the world don't have a choice, and like, they they should be supported for doing the best they can. We're lucky because we do have a choice. We can eat plant-based, be healthier than we are if we don't. Um, and at the same time be doing great things for the environment and the economy and the, the animals um, I think that, that I think common sense will prevail and I think that um, it's going to happen in the next 10 or 15 years you know and we're going to have plant based options everywhere 
um, whether it's in airports or along the highway. And it's just going to be a different way of, you know, just like people don't smoke in restaurants anymore. They're not necessarily going to be eating, you know, three cheeseburgers a week or four yeah. cheeseburgers a week. No, I have to agree with you. I think that's the future we're heading in and um, partly it's because of all the work that people like you are doing that we're going to get there um, maybe even sooner than the 30 years that I, I keep using as a sort of a um, kind of a measuring stick. So, uh, Matthew, thank you so much for having us over here at Double Zero and for doing this and for sharing your insights and your plans and uh, look forward to trying all the great food that you're going to be serving at your new restaurants and through other means in the future um, look forward to tracking your progress and, um, and keeping in touch my pleasure, thanks for having me you've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts to learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.